it's still a very, very physical world. And so the lesson here for technologists is that we have to do a much better job of connecting the dots between the digital and physical worlds. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Our world changed dramatically. Our world changed dramatically, and our work changed dramatically. 2020 and COVID-19 will be remembered by history as the year that everything changed again. Remote work has been thrust upon us, ready or not, like it or not. The future of work is now. Our guest today, best-selling author Charlie Araujo, has been writing and more importantly, thinking about the future of technology and the future of work for years. When we spoke to Charlie on this program last year, we discussed humanness in this digital era. But it was his blog post a couple of weeks ago that really jumped out at me. The post was titled, Why Your Work From Home Choices You Make Now Will Determine Your Digital Era Future. The post was powerful, like all of Charlie's writings. We will be sure to include a link to it in our show notes but would like to welcome back to the show, Charlie. Hey, Jeff, thank you very much. And flattery will get you everywhere. So, <laughs> so let's get right to it, Charlie. You and I have been discussing the future of work. Our audience can picture my air quotes around that for years now. Why is today different? So well, in some ways, it's not Except for as as and I actually really should find who said this so I can give them credit. But somebody said this is the biggest work from home experiment that the world has ever seen. And, and so, yeah. what makes it different is just that this has been thrust on us, right? You, people like you and I, we've been talking about this for a long time. And and, and I'm not going to say like no one's been paying attention. And we've been slowly moving down this road, right? Or increasingly, mm -hmm. but it's been it's been dribs and drabs, and 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 you know these kind of People would take two steps forward and one step back. And, you know, we had IBM and Yahoo both, you know, pull all of their workers back from home a few years ago. You know, it's been this right. kind of ongoing thing. And now suddenly nobody had a choice. I mean, all over the world. And that's, I think, it's going to cause a, a couple of different, you know, things to happen. One is I'm sure we'll talk about some of the cultural impact within organizations, but it's also taking away probably one of the greatest, um, the greatest pegs that people have hung their hat on when it comes to, the barriers to working from home, and that is all these reasons why it's not possible. <laughs> Those are all out the window. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, that's right. It's a whole new conversation. I mean, that is, that is a great point. I had forgotten about uh, some of the companies that had pulled their remote workforce back into the office, and now we're in that where it's forced on everybody. So it seems like, in a lot of ways, it accelerated the timeline of the future of work, if you will. I'd love to tie this back to our previous conversation a bit. Uh, and we were talking about your work at that time around the humanness in the digital era. And I think one of the side benefits to all this remote work has been the humanness of it. The kids, the pets, the naked spouses, and 
for our audience, you'll have to read Charlie's post to understand that one. But has that surprised you in this, Charlie? Well, sort of. I mean, pleasantly, I guess. So as someone who's worked from home for 20 some odd years, it's there's always been this this sort of onus on me that I wouldn't let anyone know that I was working from home. You know, it was always important to have an office and to have an appropriate background and, and to make sure mm-hmm. I had good quality equipment and, and all of that, because God forbid that anybody could tell that I was working from home, even though I've been very upfront about it, but it was sort of like the standard. And so it, it's almost a relief now because it, that's all the, the decorum's been sort of thrown out the, the window here. We have pets everywhere and kids running around. And I, it's been almost refreshing to allow ourselves to remember that, you know, we are all we're all human. We all live in the real world. And that means we have pets and kids and ringing doorbells. And we don't have to pretend like none of that exists. And right. and I think there's been, you know, I, I a lot of my work is actually focused around this big macro idea that we've exited or at least are exiting the industrial age and entering, you know, this time that I call the digital era, but that it represents mm-hmm. this fundamental shift. And right the industrial age was driven by a whole bunch of things, but but paramount in the center of it was this idea of optimization, that it was all about efficiency and that if I needed everyone to be working as optimally as possible at every given moment of time, and you know, you could argue with that maybe that was appropriate, particularly at the beginning of the industrial age, but increasingly for like the last, heck, I'd say 20 years, that really hasn't been the case. But these ideas have held steady. And so within the workplace, we've had, you know, this, this sense that you should be at your desk working and, you know, the, the water cooler talk was just gossip and we, we should pretend like we leave our home life at home. And, and you know, I, I've been the opposite of that. I've lived 20 years fully integrated. I don't talk about work-life balance. I talk about work-life integration. It's all one and the same. Right. And I think what, we're, what everyone is finding now because they're forced into this and because everyone is that our humanness, that, that human reality has been allowed to sort of shine through without the, the negative aspects of it that were maybe historically associated with it. So I, I'm encouraged by that. So you've been working from home for 20 years. Is there something that, that you knew that the rest of us didn't, that now you're thinking to yourself, see, I told you this, I, I knew this would happen. Is there anything that comes to mind being you're so experienced at the work from home effort? Well, this is sort of going to the point of this article um, that I wrote. Um, and by the way, if I if I'm allowed to give it a plug, it, it's uh, from a a series called Your Digital Future, which is actually a weekly yes. email that I'm sure you got. And, and if you are interested, it's free. Um, YourDigitalFuture.net. It'll just take you to a page on my website. But I'd love for you to sign and up. And it's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. You. I've been following that Charlie since day one. It's I love it so. I appreciate that. So uh, here's here's the thing. The point of this article was that that we need to be careful to seize this as an opportunity. I, I mean, I think when it first all started happening, everyone was in shock. Everyone was sort of going, you know, we, we don't know how long this is going to last, and, and it was just let's let's kind of get it done and get by and take a measure of it in another bit of time. Well, I think we're at that time, and. And the answer is that this is going to go on for a while. And so it's time for organizations to start adjusting to this new normal. And to answer your question directly, I think that the big takeaway here for me, um, or or my maybe secret to success of effectively working from home is a few things. One, it does take discipline, right? You have to have um, this mindset that you are working. And even if it's just a desk sitting in the corner of the living room, that's your office and that's what you're doing there. And you have to protect 
your moments of focus and be committed to doing that and not allowing for all this other stuff to go on. Now, that said, this idea that you should go to your office, quote unquote, from eight to five or whatever your hours were, is also complete hogwash, right? I have right. never lived right. that way. Um, it, well, maybe not never, but I mean, in, in terms of working from home, of constantly looking at taking the opportunity to integrate my life together. One of my defining moments of one of my proudest moments, I guess, when my kids were younger, my son, my middle child, my oldest son, was once asked what I did for a living. And his answer to whoever was it asked was that I was the president of the Arts Council. And, and that was a nonprofit um, arts association that I was the president of at the time. And it was a volunteer position. My job was I was uh -huh. a consultant. But he never saw me work that way because I structured my life around my priorities, which was this balance. And so I, when he was at school, I was on calls and working. And when they came home, I took a three-hour break to help them with their homework and to check on their day and whatever. And then I would end up going back and taking calls. And, and I was able to integrate my work and my life together in such a way that he didn't even realize I, quote unquote, had a job. <laughs> and, and that to me is the beauty of when you do work from home and you're able to bring this balance of discipline into this that you can achieve, that that you can find. It's still crazy, right? It's not easy, but it, it you can find a really a high level of fulfillment by bringing it together and, and increasingly not worrying about the dogs and the kids and whatever, you can kind of just relax and find that balance. That's, I think, the, my, my big secret why I, you couldn't get me to go back to an office you know, for anything um, and what I hope people start adjusting to because I think right now trying to pretend like they're in an office still going into the office is actually introducing stress that it should be right. the opposite. Right. Yeah. See, for me, when my uh, when my oldest son was in first grade, he told everybody at school his dad played video games for a living because that's <laughs> that was the only thing you did on a computer was play video games. Very nice. <laughs> so I think you've really hit on something here, Charlie, is that the work life integration, as you called it. And because the other thing that has happened with this uh, work from home mandate is the schools are closed. Yeah. So the kids are right there all the time and trying to find the time to do both. I think that's a real challenge for folks with kids at home. And I love your thought about carving out times of day where you could spend some quality time with your kids. Do you have other suggestions that might help those people that are struggling with all of a sudden the reality that, hey, there's no school? Yeah, well, I mean, God bless the, the folks that have small children at home right now. I think that's a definite challenge and they all need, you know, they, they saw a meme that said, you know, uh, 20 years from now, we're going to be in a world of hurt because we're going to have a generation of kids taught by day drinking teachers, you know? Um, <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't blame anyone if, if having small children right now would be extremely challenging. I, what I will say, if you have slightly older kids anyway, well, let me back. If you have young kids, you just have to accept it. And, and your employer is better accepted that you're not going yeah. to be able to you know, have that same kind of separation. And so there's you're just going to be less productive because especially if you have, uh, you know, you and your spouse both work or if you're a single parent, there's just no way around yeah. it. Somebody has to take care of the children. And that's just I think you just have to accept that and be okay with it. If I had, you know, young you know, at home kids today, but they were slightly older, the, the one thing I would say is not to miss the opportunity. 
because especially if you've gone into an office, there's this whole other world. There, there's another series of uh, posts on social right now about spouses who are seeing this whole other side of each other, right? And it's like, I didn't know my husband yeah. was a, you know, at the end of the day guy, right? Or he he's all calm and, and, and collected here, but at, at home he's not, you know, all these kind of, they're, they're seeing this other side of us. I would take that opportunity, yeah. right? What a great opportunity to have your kids sit in the room with you and observe you working and interacting with them while you work. I mean, so much of what we do doesn't require um, isolation, right? One of the things I did when I when my kids were like teenagers is that I would often take some of my business problems and I'd ask for their opinion. So, so hey, I've got hmm. this situation going on. What do you think about it, right? And to have them be able to you know sit in the room maybe while they're doing their homework or if they're just bored while you're on conference calls and letting them see your world and allow them to engage as part of it. I think it has the opportunity to actually bring families closer together and to uh, allow you to kind of expose a part of your life that may otherwise have been difficult to do. My son and I were talking the other day about the fact that we don't have that commute uh, to yeah. come home from the office. And we both would use that time to decompress and quote unquote, leave work behind and yeah get ready for the evening life. And all of a sudden my commute is 15 steps down the hallway. And so you don't have that and trying to figure out what the replacement is and how you shift your focus from one to the other is I think going to be challenging. I find it challenging myself and I've, I've not worked from home for 20 years like you, but I've spent the last four or five years working from home two and three days a week. Yeah. Um, and I can't imagine somebody who's never done it. Yeah. Trying to walk into that. Yeah. Well, and, and I think, you know, going back to the point of, of seeking integration. So, I mean, I, I get that on the one hand, especially if you're in a very high stress position. Um, the advantage I think that, that you have working from home is that you can find a number of those opportunities throughout the day. So for instance, and I'm not, you know, suggesting anyone follow that I have some magic secret, but one of my <laughs> routines is that I will often get up and, you know, do some exercise or whatever in the morning, and then I'll get some work done. And I actually don't shower typically until late morning. And that becomes one of my first break points, right? It's like, I get mm -hmm. a couple three hours of focus time and then it's like, okay, I need to pause. And now I go and I take a shower and I'll maybe grab some food or whatever. I'll sit and talk with my wife. And, and it's like a half an hour break, 45 minute break. And then I come back in and have another two or three hour block of focus. And what it's what I have found anyway, for me, is it, it sort of negates this need for this heavy decompression time because I never let it build up that much. It's this sort of constant yeah, yeah. focus and release, focus and release, focus and release. And every time you're releasing, especially if your spouse or kids are at home, it's an opportunity to engage with them. And so when I say integration, that's sort of what I'm talking about. It's organizing your time around moments of focus. And, and that also means, by the way, is trying to resist the countless meetings. So, so this is a message to you if you're a leader, if you're the person in charge, is you need to give some break here, right? It, this idea of we can go, and, and I've been in these offices where it's you know, seven hours of back-to-back -back meetings. It, it, that's just not functional at home. It does not work. And so if that's what you're trying to replicate, you're going to not only burn your people out worse than you burn them out at, at the office, which may sound counterintuitive, but it's much yeah. more, you know, there's much more stress and engagement required to do that at home, but it's, it's going to destroy their home life, right? It just, that isn't how yeah. it works. Yeah. 
Well, and that's an interesting point, Charlie. I've talked to a couple of people uh, over the last few weeks that have said they're more tired now at the end of a day where they've had multiple video calls than they were when they were in these meetings at the office all day. And (laughs) I'm wondering if it's the concentrating differently, you're behaving differently when you're on a video call than when you're at the office. Yeah, I think so, actually. I think, well, there's, I think there's a couple of reasons. One is, um, you know, the the brain is basically a muscle. And we imagine, you know, sitting here and and trying to do a plank for all day long, right? Your muscles eventually just fatigue and give out. And, Mm -hmm. And what happens is when we're working from home, we end up bringing on a degree, right? Sort of what you talked about of being able to leave work behind. Well, guess what else happened is that we would often go to the office and leave home behind. And so yeah, we were allowed yeah. to compartmentalize our life, so to speak. And that meant all those pressures of home, in, in most cases, we're able to sort of stick in a box and say, okay, I'll deal with those when I get home. And now this is all my focus is. But now you've got kids running around and you're worried, again, because we're, we're still operating in this kind of world where it's like, well, this is what it's supposed to be like from a business perspective. And so it, it creates all this stress of, are the kids about to come in screaming? Are the dogs about to bark? Is my phone going to, you know, all these other things. And so I do think it actually, you know, if you aren't used to managing that and you you aren't kind of putting the things in place, I think it will result in you being more stressed out, more tired. Um, yeah. and, and again, I think that I, I put the onus of this back on the leaders of the organizations who think that having everyone work from home, you can simply continue operating the way you did when everyone was in the office. And, and that's, I think, the crux of why people are feeling that way. Yeah. Yeah. So your post really came across to me as more of a challenge than a question or, or even a statement. And you talked about the big idea. You have a section in your post about that. And I know we've probably touched on some of those points already, but what is the big idea as you called it in your post? Yeah. I mean, the big idea is, and, and you're right, it is a challenge, is to go beyond workplace replication, that when we have your teams working from home, the objective should be to reimagine what that means, how that's actually going to function. And, and that it's, you know, it's a challenge for all of us. Um, In in this in the post in the article, I, I commented how I was as guilty as anybody that, you know, my wife and I'm one of the things I do is I'm a keynote speaker. And of course, that's non-existent now, right? Every event has been canceled at least for summer. And so we were talking about, well, maybe I should, you know, pretend like I'm on a stage and I'll get dressed like I normally would. And my wife would film me giving a keynote and that way I can. And then we read this article by this uh, great, um, he's a great marketer and author by the name of Jay Acunzo. And and he, you know, basically challenged speakers to re-envision how we deliver events because it's we can't pretend it's just the same. And it, it was just it was just like the slap in the face for me because that's exactly the case across the board. Is that if you are leading an organization today, you cannot, you know, maybe for the first couple of weeks, you if we thought it was all going to go back to normal really quickly, you could have. But but today, we have to recognize that we're not putting this genie back in the bottle. And we need to use this as an opportunity to go beyond just trying to replicate the way things have worked in the office and to start experimenting with new ways of working. 
and that's it's a it's a massive opportunity to do so because there's always been this huge political kind of an inertia barrier to really doing this, which is why you saw companies like Yahoo and IBM and others sort of pull back from it because it takes mm-hmm. a lot of effort. It, it it takes the willingness to buck the way things have always been. But guess what? Right. That has already been done for us now. So so don't <laughs> waste this opportunity. Use it to start experimenting with new ways of working. And what I think you'll find on the other end, if you do this right, is that you have a workforce that is actually happier and more productive and that you're going to set yourself up as an organization to be more adaptable and agile for the future, which is what's going to be required. I think you touched on it in the post. If not, it's in some of the other things uh, of yours that I've read about asynchronous work versus synchronous work. And I think that's part of what we're going to be dealing with, right? Rather than everybody focused all at the same time in a, in a meeting or in a work project at the office, um, when I choose to work may be different than when you choose to work at home. And we have to figure out how we can continue to move our project forward or our work forward when we're not at the same place at the same time all the time. Yeah, I mean, our, our global economy has been sort of chipping away at this for a long time now. I would argue most of us actually don't work synchronously. We already work asynchronously in many ways, but our hierarchical and work management models sort of assume a synchronous work structure, which has been part of the conflict here. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I do think it's this is the way of the future in terms of leveraging tools that enable us to simultaneously work asynchronously to be able to work for three hours and then go take the shower to go work, you know, do homework with your kids or whatever it is, and then come back for another focus time and not requiring that we all be in sync all the time, but to do it in a way that we in fact are all in sync all the time, just not in real time. Right. And, and so clearly there's a whole bunch of collaboration tools out there that I think are helping with this. But the, the challenge with most, not so much the tools, but most of the way organizations have leveraged them is they've used them as just an email replacement, right? Which is certainly an asynchronous yeah. tool, but they haven't really used them to enable higher levels of collaboration. Um, and that's, you know, I think we're starting, the, the good news is the technology is there. It's now mostly going to be the political and structural barriers to overcome to make that happen. I think for Megan and I, Megan's the executive producer of Status Go here. Maybe we should try an experiment and try to do a asynchronous podcast where I pose a question, send it to the guest and they respond back and we do it back and forth rather than being in the same place at the same time uh, on the podcast. We'll have to, we'll have to see if that would work. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So, you know, it's a great point. It's a great point. I'm not trying to imply that asynchronous means no real-time communication right but it's yeah 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 right and and i know you're being tongue-in-cheek but but it's a great point right because the reality is how much of the time in meetings is spent just getting everyone on the same page versus having an actual conversation how much of it is is the technicality versus the humanity and so we need to be focusing our real-time interactions and our real-time collaborations on those things that are about releasing that humanity about hey a, having a relationship, or B, getting through a conversation because we're obviously not seeing eye to eye and we need to understand each other, right? But having a meeting to simply go through and review data that is sitting in a database or sitting on a collaboration yeah. tool to simply ask the status that's already there, which 
God knows how many of those meetings we've all been in. That's a complete Absolutely. waste of time. Right. And it, yeah, yeah. the idea is that that kind of synchronicity somehow creates value. And, you know, my whole message long before any of this happened is that it does not. And so those are the kind of things that have to be broken down to focus that time on things that actually create meaningful value. Charlie, I want to fast forward. I guess what we hope is a month or two, maybe longer as we're starting to understand today. But what does work look like? What will be the new challenges that leaders face in trying to get back to, and I'm going to use air quotes again, normal? So I'm glad you put it in quotes because I don't think we're going back to normal, at least if we're defining normal as the way things used to work. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, this this genie will not be put back in the bottle and the employees may come back to work, right? They're going to, in many cases or most cases, come back into an office setting. But I think how they work is going to change because I do think this is going to go on for several months, particularly for those organizations that do experiment with this, do sort of recognize that there's a new normal and start adopting these principles um, and you know reducing the number of, of focus meetings, you know adopting higher levels of, of you know usage of these collaboration tools, etc. I think what you're going to find is that even when people are back in the office, it's going to be much less important that they are. And the time that they are is going to be more valuable insofar as these human connections that are vital and are necessary. I talked to one executive at a software company the other day, and and in their case, they, they were having to figure out how to overcome some of the, for the developers, right? the collaborative community that they kind of created in their, in their small cohort of developers and the creativity that that enabled. And so I think those benefits will be refound or rediscovered when we come back. But the greater thing is that most people actually don't do that kind of work most of the time. Right. And so it's about how organizations restructure. And, and what I hope is that even if you are coming back into the office, that they're finding that flexibility drives productivity, that accepting the fact that we are whole people and that we are not just workers at work and regular people at home, that we're all of those things all the time that is going to start changing the way they manage, the way they interact, the way they lead. And those are, I think, are going to be the big changes that come. And I think it'll be those that get it right, that embrace it and explore it, are going to be the ones that are, which is what the whole point of the article was, that are going to be the ones in the best position as we come out of this to be leapfrogging and to really stepping forward into this future. I'd like you to get out your, your crystal ball a little bit. I know you are always... Uh, thinking about the future, thinking about the relationship between business and technology. And it's one of the reasons I started uh, reading your writings several years ago. But what does it look like? What does business and technology look like in April of 2021? And uh, second part of that question is, how has your view changed given what we've been through the last three months? So, what I think is interesting is that this situation has simultaneously taught us two almost diametrically opposed things. On the one hand, I wrote an article about three weeks ago, right when this was all starting, and I, the title was something to the tune of a not-so-digital world after all, right? Because if, if you look at the impact that COVID-19 has had, it hasn't impacted our technology really at all, right? It's, a, it's affected our physicality our ability to physically congregate, to physically interact. And that has sent massive repercussions through not only our 
mental well-being maybe, but but the, our economies, right? And so, you know, as much as we in technology love to talk about it's, you know, every company is a software company, it's all technology, blah, blah, blah. The reality is we're seeing we're seeing the very economic ramifications of what happens when you don't touch technology at all and just touch everything else, right? It's it's right. still a very, very physical world. And so the lesson here for technologists is that we have to do a much better job of, of connecting the dots between the digital and physical worlds. Now, the flip side of that is that, can you imagine for us, at least personally, having to go through this, like our forebears in this, you know, the Spanish influenza or the Black right. Plague had to do without all of this technology, right? But we're able to still do this podcast because of this technology. The technology has become a lifeline, even for people who had no interaction with it on a business level, right? It's now become this consumer tool. I, I'm right. interacting with my grandmother, not only through the magic of mobile phones, but through you know things like FaceTime and being able to do video calls with my son and my seeing my yeah. grandson, right? Technology has proven to be an absolute lifeline in all of this. You know, there, there's all this talk about the whole discussions about screen time and reducing it or just thrown out the window, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think what we're seeing is we're, we're going to see a reordering of this as we come out of it. On the one hand, technology is, I, I think, shockingly, because it, it was already so well regarded, I think it's going to get even you know, a higher level of stature in terms of how important it is to us and how much it can enable our human connections, right? Used properly, used well. And on the other hand, I think we're going to, we're getting a very visceral understanding of the limitations of that and that we have room to go. We have, you know, technology needs to do a better job still of enabling those human interactions and human connections so that when the physicality is disrupted, which we may see more of this in the future, that yeah. that we don't have quite those same impacts. So I, I mean, I think it's going to be fascinating to see how this all plays out. There's definitely going to be some winners and losers. The, the last little comment from a hardcore tech perspective is that data wins. We are seeing it across the board, across the board, across the board. Those organizations with the best data infrastructure today are going to have a much higher likelihood of coming out of this, even if they're in a heavily impacted industry, because they're going to have greater flexibility, more options available to them. So. If you haven't got the memo yet, invest in your data infrastructure um, without question. I love that. Data wins. I think you're exactly right. I was talking to a company this morning uh, about and their focus on data, even in the midst of this storm, was uh, was very compelling, uh, the, the stories that they were able to tell. So, Charlie, you know from being on the show in the past, I love to wrap with a real solid call to action. So what's one thing you would tell someone in our audience today that they should go out and do after listening to this conversation? So one thing, I, I this is probably going to sound all like squishy, but <laughs> if the, the, the short answer is give grace. So whether that's for yourself, if you're the individual contributor and you're struggling and stressing out because the dog's barking, the kids are running in, give yourself grace. This is a crazy time and we all need to just do the best we can out of it. And if you are a leader in particular, give grace, very, very aggressively give grace, if that sounds, if that makes sense, 
um, to everyone that works with you. Make sure that they understand. This is a, an amazing opportunity. In fact, the, the Your Digital Future article that went out uh, this morning, or when I, maybe it's going out right now, actually, um, I talk about the need for empathy and why this is a perfect opportunity to practice it because we're all going through this. There, there's, there's no way to avoid empathy. We're all going through some version of the same thing. And so it is a great opportunity as a leader to build an authentic relationship with your customers, your partners, your employees. And the starting point of that is with grace, that we all have to recognize that this is you know, a crazy time, that none of us have lived through anything like this before. And by giving ourselves and each other grace, then we give ourselves the opportunity to start experimenting, to start exploring, and to see what we can make out of everything that we're living through. So that's what I would be doing. Charlie, that is fantastic advice for our audience. And I love the way that you paired grace and empathy together, because I think it takes both sides in this space that we're in, in this world that we're in, grace and empathy. Charlie, I want to thank you so much for really dropping everything and and jumping on another recording with us. I really appreciate it. And I do mean it sincerely. I love your writing and I look forward to everything that your pen produces. So thank you for that. (laughs) Well, I appreciate it. Thank you guys very much. To our listeners, if you have a question or want to learn more, go to intervision.com. The show notes will provide links including a link to the posts that we have discussed, as well as contact information. This is Jeff Tun for Charlie Araujo. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find Intervision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.